0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Well, today we're going to look at the U.S. office market. We'll look at current market performance. We'll look at the trends affecting the market and what to expect moving forward. We'll also discuss strategies for tenants, landlords, and investors. Please welcome my first guest, Ryan Severino, Senior Economist with Reese. Thanks for joining us, Ryan.
1: Hello, Michael. Thanks for having me back. It's, uh, it's always my pleasure to be on.
0: Well, we appreciate it, and uh, we'd like to ask you, how has the office sector performed year-to-date overall in the U.S. so far this year?
1: You know, the sector's been performing okay this year. Vacancy through mid-year was about 16.8%, which is, you know, certainly a bit elevated, but it's down from uh, the cyclical high that we reached a few years ago. Rents on an asking basis have grown by about, uh, about 1.4% this year. Effective rents have grown by about 1.5%. Both of which are actually the fastest rates of growth through mid-year we've seen since the market began recovering in earnest in 2011. Uh, Net absorption through mid-year is also tracking better than any year since the market started to recover. So while I'd say the market's not yet where we would need or, or really like it to be, we are clearly trending in the right direction.
0: Well, that's good news. That's very good to hear. And will this trend continue? What do you expect to see moving forward?
1: You know, I actually expect things to improve. Uh, in fact, I expect the rate of improvement to accelerate in the coming years. Uh, you know, vacancy compression, rent growth, net absorption should all be improving at, at an increasing rate as the economy improves, as the economy continues to create not just more jobs, but especially for the office sector, more office using jobs. And I think we've been seeing that more and more uh, in the data in recent months coming out of the labor market. So, uh, you know, knock wood, barring some kind of idiosyncratic shock, we expect the economy to continue to improve create office-using employment, and that will translate into better uh, fundamental improvement in the office market over the next couple of years.
0: Well, that's great. Can you see me over the phone? I'm doing the Snoopy dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, real estate always is local. Do you see any significant differences between A and B class property performance or suburban versus CBD
1: you know i'd say generally speaking class a continues to outperform class b by by a fairly significant amount uh class a vacancies fallen about 150 basis points uh from its peak um, while uh you know class b uh, you know continues to struggle a little bit looking for demand i'd say cbd continues to outperform Suburban office space. Although you know there are actually some signs of life out there in the suburban market. Sometimes uh, you know in some unexpected places. For example, uh, believe it or not, suburban office in Phoenix of all places has seen uh, some signs of life. With a number of call centers that have been moving in over the last year or so. And I think, uh, you know, at this juncture, improvement in, in the sub markets is a little bit idiosyncratic as opposed to anything more systematic. But like I said, there are definitely signs of life out there. And I think the key is that we need to see small to medium sized firms. Uh, ramp up their hiring, which has definitely been uh, an upward trend in the labor market data over the last, say, six to nine months, that will really help the suburban submarkets because it's really those small to medium-sized firms that are the the primary users of uh, suburban office space.
0: Right. That's a good point. And uh, you think if if everyone believes that the office markets continue to improve, that investment sales volume would improve. So what do you see for investment sales volume so far this year and, and for cap rates?
1: you know uh, it's funny this year we, we've actually seen uh, a bit of an improvement in terms of sales volume and the data is not quite finalized i think you know we always have that thorny issue with the non-disclosure states but we do see continuing uh, i'd say increasing interest in the office uh, sector i'd say even in terms of uh, if you look at pricing on the cap rate side uh, cap rates uh, you know for let's say class a properties are probably down sort of the the mid to high six percent range. With you know, the best properties are obviously trading well below that. Uh, but even the BC properties are, are, are only marginally higher, probably in the below low seven percent range. And so, uh, you know, I would say in terms of volumes, we're still seeing volumes below what I would consider to be more normal activity, and not even just sort of the bubbleicious volumes from before the downturn. But uh, you know, interest is starting to come back a bit. Volume is starting to drift higher over time. Uh, pricing is still, uh, you know. It, Sixes to sevens is not so bad, given uh, you know the ongoing uh, you know weakness in the economy that we 've been seeing so I think things are uh, sort of like fundamentals they 're improving, but you know the pace of improvement I think is still a little bit marginal right now
0: right and we 're seeing the same thing. we sell office buildings in the southeast and we 're starting to see a lot more activity on the on the B product and in some of the smaller markets. I think people are feeling a little more confident, and I think one of those reasons is is the lack of const- new construction, right? What do you see for new supply levels out there, and how do these supply levels compare to to you know normal years, if you will?
1: I, I completely agree with you on that. Uh, you know, this year in our uh, major markets for you know competitive market space, we'll probably see somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, only about twenty three million square feet delivered, and that's that's across you know the largest, say eighty two. Uh, or so markets in the country. This is well below long-term historical trends, which is more like 50 to 60 million square feet in our our major primary markets. And so, uh, over the next few years, we definitely expect construction activity to inch back toward normalized levels. But it is going to take a few years to get there, and we are definitely not there yet. So, I think the lack of construction activity in the market is definitely uh, a catalyst for interest on on the part of investors, especially as uh, they start to train their sites away from apartment, which has been the darling of commercial real estate, toward other property types that offer maybe uh, potentially better, better uh, benefits over the next few years.
0: And what do you expect for cap rates and values of office properties moving forward? If we're bullish, we think it's going to be an improving market, but yet we could have some slight interest rate increases, right? What do you think for cap rates and values moving forward?
1: You know, I think over the next few years, uh, office cap rates will continue to drift slowly downward. Now, we've seen a lot of cap rate compression over the, the last few years, so I don't expect to see that kind of breakneck pace. Now, obviously, that was a very uh, selective marketplace, but uh, I think it's starting to affect pricing. That said, uh, I do expect to see cap rates probably drift a little bit lower. I think with the economy continuing to recover, generating more office using jobs, that's going to translate into NOI growth. Uh, and as NOI growth starts to ramp up, risk premiums, which are, are already fairly low for good quality office properties, that risk premium will translate into other properties that start to participate in this recovery. We'll probably see them compress a little bit. And I think investors are going to become increasingly more interested in office, which is going to put downward pressure on cap rates, even as interest rates start to rise. I think what you see is a little bit of a tug of war between NOIs and risk premiums and cap rates. And as long as the economy cooperates, Uh, there's no reason why cap rates, at least over the next few years, shouldn't drift a little bit lower than where they are today.
0: Okay. Well, that's good news for for a lot of owners. So if I'm out there and I have uh, $50 million, and uh, and of course I do, right? Um, (laughs) And I want to buy and invest in one of the top three markets. What are the top three markets where you feel uh, in the U.S. it will have the most rate increase, the most occupancy increase in the next few years?
1: You know, it's... It's a little tough at, at, at a lower price point, but over the next few years, you know, the, the strongest markets are going to be some of the ones uh, that that we know of, you know, mm-hmm. New York, D.C., San Francisco, San Jose, places like that, both in terms of uh, low vacancies and, and strong rent growth. Um, so it, there are opportunities across the price spectrum. The, the problem in markets like those is that uh, on the fundamental side, things look good, but of course, uh one has to pay in order to get into those markets. And so it's sort of a good news, bad news kind of thing. You know, good news is that uh, those markets will continue to be strong and generate the best rent growth over the next few years. Uh, the bad news is it's still a little bit pricey to get into those markets.
0: So I'll need $500 million.
1: Yeah, maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, let's talk about opportunities. If, if we see some uh, rent growth and some ICB growth coming down the pike, where might there be some other opportunities for investors?
1: You know, here's what's really interesting. Um, despite what I just said about, you know, the the sort of markets that have been performing well, we're now at a point where the office market recovery in the U.S. is about three years old, and it's been a very concentrated recovery. It's really been uh, those kind of tech and energy markets that I had just been been naming that have really been leading the charge. But what we've seen over the last few quarters in our data is that vacancy compression has begun to slowly spread beyond just these sort of tech and energy markets. Now, this is clearly a divergence from the early stages uh, of the office market recovery when it was really just tech and energy markets that were uh, that were improving and everybody else was really kind of stagnating or even still deteriorating. Uh if if the stronger labor market gains persist, the kind of labor market gains that we've seen over the last few months, then we're going to see the recovery in the office market not just accelerate, but it's going to become more pervasive and it will sh- spread across an increasing number of metro areas. And the good news is these markets are not nearly as pricey as the New York's. so markets that are a little bit off the radar screen, places like Charleston, Greenville, uh, even Chattanooga, Louisville, Omaha, that uh, are starting to see an improvement in fundamentals will become relatively more attractive to investors going forward.
0: All right. Those are good points. Ryan Severino, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Always my pleasure. If you like more information from Ryan and Reese, visit Reese.com. That's spelled R-E-I-S. For more information, you've got to check them out. Stay tuned for more office sector intel. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit BullRealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. welcome back i'm michael bull and this is the commercial real estate show Uh, you're invited to check out the commercial real estate show videos on youtube or our show website commercialrealestateshow.com on youtube search for the channel commercial real estate show well today we're talking about the office market please welcome my next guest bob chodas principal with colliers Uh, bob is an sior with 32 years experience he's also chairman of collier's occupier services group bob thanks for joining us again Thanks, Michael. Well, we appreciate it, and and Bob, one of the things that we're hearing a lot about and, and seeing out there is uh, efficiency in square footage for office users. So, I wanted to see in your practice, what are you really seeing out there? Is it is it are people are companies still reducing the square footage per employee, and is there any backlash from it?
2: I, I think the answer to that is yes and yes uh, <laughs> there's uh there's a lot of reduction happening across almost every industry type uh c- coming from the professional services type organizations which are probably the more robust users of space down to the- you know the uh consultancies and financial service companies which are some of the more aggressive uh entities in this area i I see you know we see some of the uh, business consultant groups that are at, at 100, a hundred hundred and twenty square feet per. Per person in the office and using all kinds of hoteling strategies and uh, benching and other types of uh, uses to achieve those goals up to the law firm industry which is typically in the 700 square feet per revenue seat or maybe in the 300 to 350 square feet per employee seat and so uh, it's, a, it's a pretty wide spectrum but across the boards, every industry we see today is trying to reduce footprint increase density and uh And try to you know really layer in the technology across that kind of a platform that allows their people to do work better in a more fluid way and in a way in which uh, they can they can have a more flexible workspace
0: i see and and what kind of challenges uh, do you see these companies having uh, with this environment, and what are they doing to to try to help in that regard?
2: Well, the two things that you see most often is that people if if people suddenly do not have an assigned seat if they could really go to this uh, work any place, any anywhere kind of model, hoteling or otherwise. Whether it's not a non-assigned seat internally, or or working offsite, non-site depending on your work schedule. Uh, you know the employees lose a sense of my place, but in exchange for that, what companies are doing is providing collaboration spaces that that allow them to do their work better. They provide uh, you know we're seeing food as a central theme across design in almost every workplace today because. People get gravitate around uh, you know, a, a space that allows them to sit and, and share food, share meetings, do this you know, all time, at all times during the day. And so uh, you know, that's one of the givebacks that people get. And more access to outside light is another one of the givebacks because all of these strategies tend to be focused in a more open workspace. And so what that ends up having is you have a smaller footprint, but you have access to outside light and outside views. So I think the uh, the trade-off is, are are those intangibles you get with a more comfortable work environment, and the offset is that you're working in less space and may not have an assigned seat.
0: I see. And what about build-out cost? I think uh, some folks think that it might be cheaper to have you know these open spaces, but uh, sometimes it's uh, even more expensive uh, to build out this kind of cool space, isn't it?
2: It it can be. In fact, uh, you know we had a we had an, a build out that was done here in our market in Chicago for uh, for the Motorola Mobility space that uh, Google was a former uh, Google space that the company's been s- since sold. But that it's exceptional in terms of its uh, intricacy, the technology, the visual uh, fit and feel of the space. And that was very expensive to build, but it but the you know the trade off today is that they've got this really cool workplace where people can work while they're exercising or they're in the in the food service facilities or in the quiet heads down spaces so i think the answer is that it's it it tends to be equal to or as as expensive or in some cases more expensive because these amenity spaces that support these denser populations are expensive to build
0: as you see this type of build out and and companies using this type of space are there any industries that are having any issues or is it helping them possibly uh, with recruiting
2: um, you know, recruiting and retaining the key employees of, of uh, our respective companies that we do work for is probably the number one driver to all of this workplace uh, change that's occurring in the marketplace. And I think that uh, you know the younger you have a generational shift happening in our industries as a whole across the United States from the the Boomer generation, which I'm part of, to the Gen X and now Gen Y Millennials, and the, the Gen Y and and Millennial generations tend to work differently than the boomer generation as a whole. They're very used to being in smaller spaces, open environments, uh, collaborating with their peers because that's the way they've grown up. They're the digital DNA generation that's worked, that grew up with iPods and iPads and all the other i-things that we all use today. <laughs> so I, I think at the end of the day that uh, you know, we do see uh, a real um, a, a change in terms of what's driving this kind of um, environmental shift. And it's mostly driven by recruiting and retaining these, this shifting population. The statistics say that 50% or more of the workforce by 2016 will be millennial. And so this is a trend that's just going to continue
0: to accelerate. That's interesting. And we're talking with Bob Chodas, uh, principal with Colliers. And, and Bob, what do you see for length uh, terms of uh, leases? Are, are What are companies doing there? Are you seeing any change in the terms and, and length of these leases or what tenants want?
2: it's very situational if it's a big headquarters type lease where there's a a massive investment occurring we tend to see 15-year leases but we do see leases with termination rights being negotiated within that term length if it's a smaller sales office or satellite location they'll tend to be 10 or 7-year leases and then we have some clients who just have a mandate they won't sign longer than a five your lease. It just it depends on the nature of the situation involved, but usually the bigger the lease, the longer the term, because the capital investment is, is so substantial.
0: Right. Are there any other terms, Bob, that in a lease that uh, you're seeing that are highly uh, debated between landlords and tenants today?
2: Uh, the 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 toughest terms in all leases today tie around flexibility, the ability mm-hmm. to to have options to grow, options to reduce footprint and and usually the reduction options want to be in layers of, you know, a a floor or, you know, 50 percent of a floor at a given point in time and happen fairly frequently. There are termination rights, which, you know, a tenant signing a 15-year lease would like a long-term lease locked in and have the right to take a look at it in two or three increments during the term. And so uh, those expansion contraptions, right of first offer and refusal uh, and termination rights are probably the most hotly contested issues in a lease today. And on the other side of the equation, credit and, and lease securitization can tend to also be a, a pretty dominant conversation, depending on the nature of the, the enterprise, whether it's a big corporate entity with an investment credit versus a, a privately held enterprise. Those, those become big issues.
0: And what's the quick answer to uh, this question? Is it a landlord or tenant's market? Or, or what do you see, maybe, say, in Chicago?
2: well in chicago it's it's interesting we're at about a thirteen or twelve and a half percent overall vacancy in the downtown market but I'll use that as the as the target and the, historically, the transition from tenant favorable to landlord favorable or vice versa happens in this zone. I will tell you that, that you know recently we we've seen a uh, A sale in our market for a building that was at six hundred and fifty two dollars a square foot that's the first time an office building in our market is sold at that kind of a level. I think the prior high water mark was about five hundred bucks a foot and it's the same building and what that does is that just puts a lot of upward pressure on rents as a whole, regardless of the supply demand characteristics but i I will say that If you're a 40,000 foot user in our market today, you you do a search, you'll find 25 different locations. That's great.
0: Bob, I want to get some more from you. I want to hear the top three mistakes that tenants make. This is Michael Bull. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit FranceMediaInc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back, I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about the office market. My guest is Bob Chodis, a principal with Collier's. He's also chairman of Collier's Occupier Services Group. And Bob, I'd like to ask you about the top three mistakes that tenants should avoid in their lease if they're doing a relocation, a renewal, or a new new, uh, lease. What are some mistakes they should avoid?
2: Well I think uh, that's a great question and the the first one is that people tend to think about leases and they think about their offices or their their workplace as a transaction oriented discussion and I the reality is is that the market will tell you what the transaction ultimately is going to be in terms of rent or abatement or concessions the real focus is on this whole question that we were talking about it the other day is this workplace environment and how do you leverage this real estate that is very inflexible to put in place, very costly, hard to change. How do you leverage that that design and the overall strategy that you do up front to to create the kind of workplace where you can recruit and retain your people? How do you focus on that up front? Many tenants fail to do that and that's where the real money opportunity is. The the space the, the lease will be what it is. The market ultimately tells you what the costs are going to be. So I, I think that workplace focus up front is one of the things that many people fail to look at. The second thing is they don't start early enough. A lot of people will think that I've got a lease coming up and I've got a year before it and uh, I'll start some pl- sometime in the, uh, you know, this year during the you know, next three to six months. The fact is is that the, the marketplace will tell you that you have to start, you know, 18 months, 24 months in front doing your homework about the workplace so that you can then make a good decision in a timely way that gives you the options to to stay or move. Because at the end of the day, to build out space takes time. You have to design it, permit it, get it ready to go. And so many tenants just don't start early enough. And That's the second thing. And the third one, self-serving, is they may not hire an advisor. They may try to do it themselves. And people realize that, don't realize that they're gonna leave a lot of money on the table if they don't have somebody in their camp who does this day in and day out for a living. Uh, you know, we see the, the payback for having an advisor involved being a, you know, a eight or ten to one kind of uh, return on the kind of cost that it takes to bring somebody on board early.
0: I mean, that's a very good point, and it may sound self-serving, but it's a very good point. I mean, when you read about uh, big law firms leasing office space, and then you read they had a tenant rep. So, you know, I think some of the smaller tenants think the, that they don't need a tenant rep, and I think you need a good lawyer and a good, tenant rep uh, working in concert for you. And, and Bob, I have a question about uh, purchases, lease versus purchase. I know for most businesses, it's better to lease. There's are certainly a lot of advantages to leasing, but also in some markets, you have some uh, prices that are low, some, some good availability of office properties. You certainly have a low interest rate environment. Are you seeing a little bit more of your clients considering acqu- acquiring their own property?
2: You know that's a great question and the, the fact is is it's really uh function driven if it's a core facility it's a core aspect of your your value proposition and you know i'll give you an example if you're if you one of our clients is, a, is in the food business and they create sliced meat and they you know their their meat processing facilities are core assets that are designed around delivering their their entire revenue model so they're their view is they want to own those, they want to control them, they want to control the processes that are higher that are going on within those. But within an office environment, most companies have a much higher return on cost, if you will, or, or a return on their invested capital than you can achieve by owning real estate. And so we see most companies lease their real estate and keep their capital, their powder dry, if you will, to invest in their business to to get the kind of yields on. On equity that they you know historically get, so the the answer is we don't see a lot of increase in terms of in the office space marketplace where people are trying to buy and or own their facilities.
0: Bob, you mentioned the number one mistake to avoid is the workplace environment. Tell us more about that.
2: Well, you know what I what I mentioned up front is that there, that the uh, people tend to focus on the the real estate aspect of a transaction, a, a project, if you will, and we we think that the real money resides in trying to fit the right business solution into the right real estate. And so today we're seeing a lot of change happening with uh, the generational shift that's happening in the industry with the dominant population being millennials, and they want to work in a more open, collaborative environment. So we're seeing benching strategies. We're seeing uh, hoteling strategies. We see uh, work anytime, anyplace, unassigned seating strategies. We tend to see a lot of spaces without ceilings in them today with exposed concrete deck and uh, you know uh, lots of stuff going on up in the ceilings and the floors being left in concrete and painted with epoxy and having um, amenity spaces where people can gather for food or entertainment or what have you exercise these are the things that uh, we see companies doing to satisfy the demands of their population which is shifting to this younger workforce that is very technology oriented
0: that's 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 excellent points we just put a game room in our office talk right. about change tables
2: ping pong yeah. tables you know, all kinds of different you know treadmills where people work on treadmills
0: yeah happening today. well bob thanks for joining us today we appreciate it
2: michael thank you we'll, anytime
0: thank you we'll stay tuned we'll have more on the office market i'm michael bull this is the commercial real estate show we'll be right back the Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. With FIU's fast track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUOnline.com to learn more. That's FIUOnline.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show you're invited to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Google+. You'll find all our connections at the show website, creshow.com. Well, today we're discussing the office market. Please welcome my next guest, Scott Panzer, Vice Chairman JLL jones Lang LaSalle. Scott, thanks for joining us again.
3: Oh, you're very welcome, Michael. Good to hear your voice again.
0: Well, thank you, Scott. And first of all, I'd like to ask you about uh, what's going on in New York. I mean, uh, everybody's interested in New York. Is is it a landlord's market there or a tenant's market? I mean, uh, what do you see for the various classes and areas around New York?
3: Well, I think by and large, um, you know, depends on New York is a, is a tale of almost three or four markets. And let me sort of break this down um, when I give you some statistics. So we, we've got all of about 440 million rentable square feet of office space uh, on the island of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So when you break that down, you know, you think about other major cities around the world. That's a whole chunk load of space. Yeah. And, and when you look at that, you have a downtown market, you have a midtown south market, you have a midtown market, you have a plaza district market, all distinct types of properties. Um, but the funny thing that's happened in the last, I want to say, two or three years is that there's, there's no one sector where tenants are, are moving towards or migrating towards So where you had a decade ago, the financial services firms, or maybe a little longer than that, were all downtown. And then you had in in Midtown proper, you had marketing, advertising, media, legal, uh, and a litany of others. Right now, tenants will go anywhere they can that that really suits their needs. We've seen a big explosion in the tech sector here in Manhattan. So that tech sector market has migrated to the west side and to what we call Midtown South below 42nd Street, actually below 38th Street, um, and down to, to Canal Street and only because that area is gentrified and it's a little more hip and cool um... and that's driven those rental rates pretty high and it's also created a a a very very uh... A, uh... Um, a significant shortage of available space in that market which obviously inverse that is driving rents up so what i would say is to summarize we're seeing that that in midtown south where the tech sector is really growing and the media companies um, it's a very landlord skewed marketplace as you move downtown um... what's happened in the last two or three years that tenants who have pushed from midtown to downtown for price have now created uh, a reduce a reduction in the vacancy downtown, and are now creating that market um, to become more of a landlord-oriented market. And then the vacuum that's happened in midtown proper, which is north of 42nd Street here, is now moving towards a neutral to tenant-oriented market. And then obviously you always have the high-end tenants, private equity hedge funds, um, uh, you know the guys that 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 um, are willing to pay for the pristine Class A trophy properties, and that market continues to maintain a robust status.
0: Okay, and what are some of your rates and occupancy numbers there?
3: Well, I mean, if you look at Midtown South, we're sub 5% right now um, in the tech sector. As you move downtown, we're, we're still double-digit, but we're moving closer to um, a 10% number, which for all intents purposes is considered full vacancy, somewhere between 5 and 10%. And then in Midtown itself, you know, we're starting to see that pick up. As you have announcements of uh, AOL Time Warner moving to the west side, you have Time Inc. moving downtown, um, you know, those two, things are gonna, those two, two events are going to create something in the neighborhood of 2.5 to 3 million square feet of additional vacancies in Midtown, which is going to grow the Midtown vacancy rate.
0: Okay, and what about rates?
3: Well, the funny thing about rates is that, again, in, in Midtown South, which historically, um, was a 30 to 40 dollars square foot market those have now risen to 75 80 and we're hearing some deals getting locked in with some of the premier tech companies that are closer to 90 dollars a square foot downtown historically you know was about a 50 to 55 dollars number um, for pristine space and then secondary space was running about 25 to 30 those have all jumped about 10 to 15 dollars per square foot in the last 18 months and then midtown which historically has been you know, $70 a square foot on an asking basis. We're starting to see that fall back a little bit in the 60s, um, but we expect that 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 may hold um, through the next two or three or four years as these companies migrate out of Midtown until we start seeing some renewed job growth in Midtown. And then of course on the plaza area where we have the high-end rents, those are topping $225 a foot today.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, that's some pretty big jumps. You're talking 30 to 40 to, to 75 a foot. Uh, that must be exciting for those landlords. And, and speaking of landlords, Scott, what are some typical concession packages you see there on a few sample leases?
3: Well, I mean, interesting enough, you're seeing concession packages are holding firm for tenants. So while I may have mentioned that the markets tend to be you know, a landlord-oriented market for downtown and midtown south, those landlords are really buying up the face rates. And the way, the way they're doing that is they're giving tenants more concessions. So they're giving them 75 and $80 per square foot to build their space out. And the swap in that is they're getting that 75 or $80 per square foot rent back.
0: I see. So they're getting quite a bit of free rent on the front end or throughout on the, the lease?
3: On the front end, the, yeah, the free rent runs anywhere between 8 and 14 months um, for a 10-year deal.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And what would you tell us is different about the office leasing business today, Scott, than it was a few years ago?
3: Um, I think it'd have to go more than just a few years ago because the market that we're seeing today, although we're seeing uh, um, expansion by, by tech tenants and media uh, uh, companies, um, and still a f- somewhat flat market from financial services and, and those companies like law firms and accounting firms that support those financial service sector. Um, we, are, we, we, we are seeing a significant uh, increase in space compression from what we saw even two or three years ago. Um, and what I mean by that is that, is that you know, tenants are really, really pushing hard to get that square foot per employee from 200 square feet down to something around 150 square foot per employee. And a lot of that's coming in the, in the area of benching, um, where they take just a long conference table and pack in some millennials that they just hired over the last 18 months um, around this this conference table and give them a laptop and that's their workstation now.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, are any of them getting any pushback from that? We're on the break here, but quickly, any pushback from some of these tenants or from their employees?
3: Um, we're, yeah, we're not we're not getting pushback from the millennials. I would say that that the recent graduates, the last five years, seem to embrace that. Um, the, the older guys, like, like me and others, you know, still like their own <laughs> private
0: space. All right. I want to hear some more more from Scott Panzer in just a moment. We'll be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Well, today we're talking about the U.S. office market. My guest is Scott Panzer with JLL. And, and Scott, uh, let's talk about a landlord's view here. How can a landlord attract more tenants and tenant reps for their properties today?
3: Well, summertime is you know a wonderful time to be in, especially in New York um, mm-hmm. uh, proper. Mm-hmm. So what landlords typically do starting right after Memorial Day weekend and running through, I want to say, late September is they'll host a, a litany of cocktail events and breakfasts, and uh, they'll invite the entire brokerage community to their buildings and showcase their assets, uh, walk tenants through the floors, and then in, you know, in, invite those, those tenant reps to bring their clients back uh, for preview and showing. But it's a great way to get the asset out there.
0: Right, so parties, huh?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, believe it or not, cocktail parties, social events, social media – um, you know, we we just took on a new building, in actually in, in downtown Brooklyn, um, that that we're going through the social media, uh, which is getting a lot of activity, and that's going to be the the um, the genesis for a, a cocktail party that we're going to host uh, just after Labor Day weekend.
0: And while we're talking about landlords, uh, Scott. What's happening with the third-party uh, leasing work as far as landlords? We see a lot of landlords in our market that want to do their own leasing. I don't know if they just haven't been happy with third-party leasing or if that model's dated. What do you see in your market?
3: So in this market, it's, it's, uh, it, it flip-flops quite a bit like it does down where you are, uh, Michael. And and what you're having here is is you've got the the REITs, the Real Estate Investment Trust, the larger ones like Bornado and SL Green and Matt Calley and others. Um, that, that they'll, they'll do a fair amount of the leasing in-house, mm-hmm. but they'll also um, outsource and contract to companies like JLL and, and our competitors um, on a variety of their trophy assets uh, because they want to ensure that they have the maximum coverage across
0: all fronts. Right. It seems to make sense. And, well, let's talk about uh, tenants for a moment. Scott, we're almost at the end of the show here, but what are some of the clauses? What are some of the issues that you find are most important to tenants?
3: Well, the, the, the two largest ones, I mean, it's clearly flexibility, and that's flexibility on both ends, flexibility to retrench through give-back options and early termination options, and flexibility to grow through expansion options, um, and also to be able to stay and enjoy the property for a long period of time, which is renewal options. So options seem to be a very, very important piece, and we find ourselves fighting that Rubik's Cube inside of each individual building uh, where multiple tenants are competing for growth space over time.
0: Okay, and let's say that you're a tenant and you've got two or three locations that are leases are expiring in the next two to three years, what advice would you give that tenant?
3: Well, the big thing is try to, try to ma- maximize the dates on what those things expire at the same time uh, for an eventual co-location strategy that might take place in the future.
0: Okay, and what advice would you give tenants who are looking to reduce their square footage per employee and other efficiency dynamics as far as doing that right?
3: I, I think you really have to test the model. It's almost like, you know, you're painting a wall and you're not sure about what the color it's going to be, so you get a couple of different colors from your local Home Depot or Lowe's and you kind of dab it on the wall, step back, look at a different light, and then come back and do it. I think what happens is too many companies rush right into it and try to compress it without thinking through the functional use of space and who's going to be occupying it.
0: Right, and don't paint yourself in the corner and you can't get out, right? You got it. <laughs> okay. And what's the biggest... Uh, challenge that tenants have, uh, what do they do wrong the majority of the time? What's the biggest issue?
3: Well, historic, historically, the big issue was that they were, they were, take, they were biting off too much space um, too soon. And, and I think that, that changed quite a bit right now. So now what's happening is I think they're not taking enough space early enough, um, especially the tenants in the tech sector and media that, that are going through that explosive growth.
0: So they're being a little too conservative. They're,
3: too, they're way too conservative. And then what's yeah. happening is they become a victim of their own success when they go back to the landlord and they say, hey, we need another 10,000 square feet. Oh, really? Well, you just paid $50 a foot, now you'll pay $60 for the next tranche.
0: Ouch. Scott, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it, sir.
3: Thank you, Michael. Good to see you.
0: For more information from Scott and JLL, visit us.jll.com. I hope you can join us next week. We'll look into retail and retail real estate. Thanks for joining us today. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by RealCrowd. Crowdfunding for institutional quality real estate. Visit realcrowd.com slash radio. Florida International University. Earn your commercial real estate master's degree in as little as 10 months. Visit FIUonline.com. And Bull Realty Commercial Brokers, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com and France Media publications and conferences. For exposure to the world of commercial real estate, visit francemediainc.com.